Water's Edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the Murray-Darling Basin and Australia and recognises the continuing connection to lands, waters and community. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the elders past, present and emerging. Coming up, the Inspector General pays a visit to the Barmer Choke, one of the most significant sections of the River Murray. So I always believe it's better to see and hear what's going on in the ground than just reading about it. We learn why the choke is such a point of interest. It's quite a narrow, shallow bit of the river that um, causes some difficulty in delivering water through. And how water trade works through this section of the River Murray. And because of the supply and demand pattern above the choke, that water tends to be cheaper than water below the choke. I'm your host, Annabelle Hudson. This is Water's Edge, and welcome to The Conversation. Recently, the Inspector-General of Water Compliance, Troy Grant, paid a visit to the Barmer Choke. The Choke is located on the border of Victoria and New South Wales, just north of Echuca, and has the lowest flow in any stretch of the River Murray. The Inspector-General was there meeting with community members to learn more about the Choke and its significance in the Murray-Darling. Well, I've come down to the Barmer Millawar State Forest today, Australia's largest river redgum forest a beautiful part of our nation and home of the Barmer Choke. Probably the most infamous and spoken about part of the Murray-Darling Basin system, but the Barmer Choke still remains an issue when it comes to moving that water down the River Murray. It has an impact in relation to water trading uh, between Victoria and New South Wales. It's having issues for our traditional owners who have joined me on site to allow me to get an understanding of what they're looking to do to help come up with solutions to respect uh, the connection to country issues, the deep connection they have to this region. The problem in the Barmer Choke is compounding. We've had one issue where the water is not being sent downstream in the supply required because of what's been identified recently as a massive sand sludge. And that's impacting the depth of the river uh, through a highly regulated system and getting that water downstream when required. The reason for the visit today is to get on ground here at the Barmer Choke in the beautiful Barmer Millawar State Forest. Because you can read all you want to about the constraints and the challenges and potential solutions to the issues here, but until you see it firsthand, and hear on the ground from local stakeholders and those people who are invested here about what the solutions will offer, what the solutions could be outside of what has already been adopted. And some of the issues uh, that have arisen because of the programs that have been put in place. So I always believe it's better to see and hear what's going on in the ground than just reading about it. In addition to hearing from local stakeholders, the Inspector General saw how narrow and shallow the choke actually is. And that's a big problem, because it means during high demand periods, water is difficult to get through this section of the River Murray. This part of the Murray-Darling system is part of a highly regulated system, the River Murray, that services communities' demands for consumptive water, It has massive environmental 
uh, impacts and, and relationships and ever-growing traditional owner demands and traditional owner uh, aspects that need to be properly considered in decision-making around this area. Uh, we have growing industry downstream of the Barmer Choke uh, that needs supply uh, for the permanent plantings uh, that are occurring there, as well as the environmental uh, needs to get wetlands south of the Barmer Choke properly serviced through environmental flows that are just not possible because of the constraints that are being faced here. I spoke to Director of Water Trade Regulation Edwina Carter to help us understand the significance of water trade through the choke. This is Water's Edge and welcome to the conversation. The Inspector General was recently at the Barmer Choke and his visit comes ahead of a fairly significant time of the year at the Choke. Trade through the Barmer Choke opens on the 1st of July and to explain a bit more about the significance of that is Director of Water Trade Regulation Edwina Carter. Welcome back to Water's Edge Edwina. Hi Annabelle, how are you going? I'm fantastic. I'm very excited to talk to you about water trade today. That's your area of expertise. Um, and I think firstly for us to really understand how trade in the choke works, we should explain some of the physical characteristics of the choke. Um, the Inspector General, we heard mentioned um, the sand sludge or sand slug being an issue. So what does that mean and what are some of the other, other characteristics that are unique to the choke? It's quite a narrow, shallow bit of the river that... Um, causes some difficulty in delivering water through. So when you say it's narrow, how narrow are we talking? Like how much water would be getting through there on on an average day? Yeah, so at the moment, the MDBA estimates that the amount of water that can be delivered through the choke at the moment is about 7,000 7, megalitres per day. Okay, and why is that an issue? in terms of trade? Like, because if there's not much water going through, does that mean that water can't be traded? So the issue is um, getting water through the choke for people who are on the downstream side of the choke. So a lot of the development that's taken place in the Murray is downstream of the choke. A lot of almond plantations, um, horticulture, things like that are actually below the choke. So when you've got a narrow, shallow bit of river that makes delivery difficult, that has an impact on how much water you can... It's it's a choke point. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> if, if it's only getting 7,000 megs a day, there's no way you could possibly trade more than 7,000 megs from above the choke. Yep. So, um, so the trading rule works at the moment that you can't have any net trade across the choke. So what does net trade mean? So it means you need to trade capacity from downstream of the choke to upstream of the choke, and that takes some of the pressure off delivery through the choke, which then means you can trade upstream of the choke to downstream of the choke. And so what's the significance of the 1st of July? What happens on the 1st of July? So on the 1st of July, um, the Murray-Darling Basin Authority 
um, resets the Barmachoke balance. So the Murray-Darling Basin Authority keeps the choke account throughout the year um, and they're responsible for being the single source of truth for choke the choke balance for the choke account balance for trade across the choke and does the balance change each year the balance changes from day to day minute to minute so whenever you have someone trading um below the choke to above the choke that creates capacity to trade right and so you can go on to the mdba's live they've got a live data feed for choke data and you can see how much is live and available to trade at any time. But the reality is most of the time it sits at zero because... People snap it up so quickly. People snap up the choke capacity so quickly, yes. And is that because, I guess it's a supply and demand thing, water from below the choke is more expensive than water from above the choke? Yeah, so what happens when you've got... Um, markets that aren't connected so it when a when a market's connected you have the same price in that market Mm -hmm. when you have markets that become disconnected through restrictions such as the choke you get different prices happening between those two markets and because of the supply and demand pattern above the choke that water tends to be cheaper than water below the choke And then on the 1st of July, the balance is reset. Yeah, so there's a running balance and that gets um, maintained by the MDBA through the year. And what happens is the 1st of July, any balance or credit that's sitting there um, on the 30th of June gets reset to zero. And then the MDBA apply what they call the snowy savings um, on the 1st of July, and that is opening credit for the Barmer Choke. So, and the snowy savings are calculated by the MDBA annually and change annually. So do we know what it is for this year yet? So the MDBA have announced that it's roughly 60.6 um, gigalitres of um choke opening balance that will be available. And how quickly is that likely to be sold? So last year, the opening balance, which I think was about 40 gigalitres, was gone before about two o'clock in the afternoon on the 1st of July. So for context, trade opens at midnight? So um, the MDBA resets resets the balance. They take any credits away and then um, apply the snowy saving um, and depending on trade processes trade can open at midnight okay so that's what 14 hours or something yes <laughs> it yeah. didn't, didn't take long um, and this year it's a fairly unique situation because it's opening on a Saturday I understand so the 1st of July falls on a Saturday so the MDBA will be resetting the uh, in accordance to with what's put in the Murray Darling Basin Agreement and the protocols around how they um, do the accounts for the Barmer Choke, the MDBA will reset, will delete any credits at midnight on the 1st of July 
and then apply the snowy savings of 60.6 gigalitres. And then states open trade on their own timeframes. Okay. And so when we're talking about states, we're talking about Victoria and New South Wales in this instance. Yes. So when it comes to uh, the 1st of July and the balance is set at 60.6 gigalitres, what's the process between the different states in terms of being able to buy water? So... Victoria and New South Wales are responsible for their own trade processing um, and that's why the MDBA is involved because they keep the account between the two states because it's a true shared restriction. Um, So what we have is Victoria have a rather automated system across the board for all their water trading activity, Mm -hmm. whereas New South Wales have a more manual approach where someone actually needs to enter the data into a system and uh, do things like that. So Victoria's approach and registers are more set up to work automatically. Um, whereas New South Wales approach and systems are set up to be more manual in nature. Well, this has been a really interesting chat and I've learnt quite a a lot about trade through the choke. Uh, Thank you very much, Edwina Carter, for joining us on this episode of Water's Edge. Thank you, Annabelle. Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.